Hey guys, it's Allison. I am so glad you're here with me. I want to tell you that this podcast, From Weeds to Wildflowers, it's all about resilience. So then it's pretty much about life. And if you've ever experienced life, then this podcast could possibly be for you. I want to put a disclaimer out there first. I am not a therapist. I'm not here to give you advice or to tell you what to do. What I am though, is human. Yep, same as you. A human being that has an immense desire to want to help people discover ways to heal. There is so much suffering in this world, some of which stems from outside influences, but most of our suffering comes from within, from our own devices. And that is what worries me the most. I too have suffered, and yes, some of which came by means of my own hands. I would love for you to join me and walk alongside me as we navigate this wonderful, beautiful, sometimes frightening thing we call life. Let's find out what we're made of, and perhaps we can find ways we can do it better. Help me to unearth skills to dig deep in search of proverbial water that heals. Let's learn how to bloom wherever we find ourselves not just where we're planted, and uncover the source of our own innate personal happiness. Come on now, let's do this together. Hey guys, welcome so much to the podcast today. We have an absolutely beautiful treat for us today. Um, My friend just recently, Suzanne Anderson, is here on the podcast She is a beautiful soul and she has a book coming out, which is called You Make Your Path by Walking. I read this book and felt the loss that she felt that she still carries throughout her life, but does it in such a way, in such a beautiful way. I was so impressed by the things that she wrote, the rawness, the realness that she expressed within the pages of her book. But not only that, Suzanne comes from many years of experience with healing. And instead of me telling you, I actually want her to tell you what and who Suzanne Anderson truly is. And so without further ado, I would like to welcome Suzanne to the podcast. Great. Thank you so much for being here, Suzanne. Mm, thanks to you, Allison, for having me. Yeah, I think the thing that will be important to share about my the ground I was on when the event occurred that as you know led to the um, the living out of the resilience I'd already cultivated and then the cultivating of more resilience, I mean, deeply embodying that through the trauma is that the work I have done for years and been very called to do ha- has been to be a uh, a guide, I guess you could say, um, for women. I, I actually talk about it as women on the edge of evolution. But what is it for women right now to show up in really, actually, I would say, awaken the next level of consciousness and uh-huh. capacity to be be in the world. And so I come at that through my, my very long, long time spiritual um, path that I've been on and my 
experience in psychology, my experience in leadership consulting, my experience in um, all of these domains sort of provided some of them, the, the um, I'd say the holding for what ended up being a kind of downloading over 10 years of research of, of a of a pathway, almost like a code of an archetypal code for women to awaken this innate potentiality that I think is being literally called forth right now by the complexity of these times. And that I knew a lot about. I had written a book about. I'd written with my co-author, Dr. Susan Cannon. We were ready to find a publisher. And um, and then the event that the second book is about occurred. So that was the ground I had, let's just say, going into the the big massive shift in my life. That I felt like when just even on the outset of this book, knowing what little I had known at first about you, that all of this groundwork was laid for you to walk this path. And I know often I've like prayed for patience. Well, it feels very often if you pray for patience, you you are letting the universe show you how to cultivate that patience, right? Sort of a thing. And I kind of felt that same way throughout your book. Um, did you feel that way? As you, I mean, I, I kind of sensed that throughout the book, but did you, were you like, holy crap, I'm actually being led to live what I've been teaching? Yeah, well, I, I would say uh, very early on, I had the experience of being the event that I write about in the, the story of a, of a colleague and friend of mine who, who basically said, you know, I, I use a myth called the, the Persephone Demeter myth in the work that I do, which is, mm-hmm. and it's this moment where Persephone goes into the underworld and is grabbed by Hades. And anyway, it's it's a myth I work with a lot uh, in the programs that I do with women. And this colleague also works with those, that myth. And and he said to me, you know, you're going to go somewhere you've never been before. You're going to go to a deeper and a darker place than you've ever been before but you do know how to travel in the dark that is the work I've been doing for years I'm still doing which is you know the in the yin and yang symbol the yin is dark and the yang is light but we have in our 5,000 years of a hypermasculine paradigm really Mm -hmm. oriented toward that more yang that wasn't always the case we had 50,000 years before that of a more feminine uh, paradigm but Anyway, the the really what it means to embrace the the unconscious, you could say, the body, our embodied experience. So I I already had some sense of that. I mm-hmm. taught it um, and and guided others there who was embodied. But I definitely went. I, I definitely was like life, uh, the great mystery, the great she force. However, mm-hmm. we want to think about it, basically um said you will now live this you will really and truly live this one everything is at stake and it really was everything at stake for me because when my husband died then this we should probably bring the event in here that uh, absolutely yeah um my my beloved partner um and husband and he he died on january the 3rd 2013 Right as I was saying, I was about to bring this book out and launch a program after years of not 
work doing that as we after a year of actually writing the book. And I found him, I came home one evening to find him dead and dead by suicide. So that combination, first of all, that he would that he would be gone from my life was unimaginable, but then gone by suicide. One of the factors, and there were a couple, uh, as I understand it now, having been being 10 years out, of right. might have precipitated that um, experience for David was that his business was about to come tumbling down. So his, and he had an Indonesian antique uh, furniture business and here in Seattle and workshop in Indonesia. And we had an amazing property. He brought these antique houses and temples over from Indonesia. And it was like being walking into Bali to walk into our estate on, on Vashon. It was absolutely- I can't even imagine. I I mean, just how you describe it. I was just like, oh, that would had to have been just a dreamy place. It was place. a dreamy place. I actually put some photos on my website, on my book page. So to read okay. the book could actually see some of the images of it because it's, it's unimaginable. But- he got way out beyond his capacity and his, his sort of dream to create this, you know, piece of art, this, this living art. Mm -hmm. And his whole business was going to come tumbling down. And so really within six months, it did, I had to shut his business down. We had very separate businesses. I had a, my own women's leadership thing. And mm -hmm. um, so I had to, I had to sell the home very quickly. It was, I had to leave the island. I had to, I shut down my business. I mean, really everything was gone. Everything was gone. All the ways my identity was wired together, those outer structures. And in many ways, I did not even know. I wouldn't have said I was necessarily attached to some of these things. Um, mm -hmm. Until they're tested. Until they're shattered, <laughs> actually. Yeah, shattered. I, I remember you using that word in there, shattered. Yeah, that was, as a matter of fact, I had written down, you even said in one part, it says the heroic part of me was shattered. My confidence that I could handle anything life threw at me was gone. Mm -hmm. That's deep. Yeah, yeah, that was a real, it was profound for me because I'd been someone, I'd been through difficult things in my life before. Um, this wasn't the first loss, it was certainly the extent of it, absolutely. But um, yeah, I'd been through other challenging things, but there was a part of me that felt I could rise up and handle that. And I was the one who would rise up in the middle of a crisis and handle it. And this was so all shattering, <laughs> I guess to use that same word that that was really gone and i wouldn't even have said and i think it was gone in a healthy way i think there was a part of me that would do whatever needed to be done and lose track of my own humanity mm -hmm. and that just couldn't happen i mean it was like you no know, you will you will really do this and I was committed from the very beginning to to do this in the way of that I call of the mysterious woman, which was that first book. The first book is the way of the mysterious woman. Right. And I was going to live in that way of being. Um, 
which meant I would need to find, to be embodied in this journey. It couldn't be a spiritual bypass at all. And in some ways, I think David's choice to leave had an element of that because he had a very deep and long-time spiritual practice. He could get into these very elevated states. When he got contracted tinnitus, it was about three months before he died. It was mm -hmm. like this just crazy cacophony of sound inside his head, which is pushes many people to consider and, and follow through on suicide because there's a sense of, I cannot live with this sound. And that was definitely a factor for him. That well, especially where he was able to really have the stillness, right? Because of his practices that he was able to be still, even within his mind, to have a constant, and yes, I know as even being a nurse, that tinnitus is, it's excruciating for people. Yeah, yeah and I think... Um, in a way, he uh, he did not, not in a way, I mean, he wrote this to me, so I, I would say I'm pretty sure about this, that he did not have the strength to go on. And he, and he was very comfortable with death and with the idea of going to other dimensions of being. And I do think there's a, and who, that, that was what he could do. So let's say that was right for him. But I knew mm -hmm. for myself, I wasn't going to do this what I mean by spiritual bypass was, you know, go into, if I have a very deep and and fundamental experience of being part of something so much larger than my own little ego, mm -hmm. I know that. I know I'm part of something that is a beautiful unfolding of source, we could say, or the great mystery or whatever word you want to use to describe this this beauty, the love, really. And, um, and I have had experiences of being in, you know, very high states of being, but I knew and absolutely know now, but knew then that this journey for me was, could I really live through this complete decimation of everything, every way I identified myself right. and do it in a way that honored my humanity. I mean, really literally wake down and in to my body with my awake consciousness. That was the the invitation. And that is um, what I have done, what I am doing, we could say. You're still in that journey, are you not? To a point? I, I, feel, the, I feel the bringing out of the book is sort of a, it's a, a stage in this, if you think of any time that's really hard and you, for your audience, if they would probably be tuning into you because something's going on or they wouldn't right. be interested in resilience, right? And, and the way, the invitation I would say to, to us all going through difficult times is that this, once it's here, it's here as the catalytic, you could say, opportunity for cultivating more wholeness for coming into contact more with yourself through that experience and in that sense it's a kind of initiation and every initiation any initiation and now in the in, in the indigenous cultures there's always a sacrifice something is let go right and i have um i certainly had to let go i let go of absolutely everything the sacrifice i could say was enormous but there's something at this stage about bringing my book out kind of feels like the some element of completion 
to this initiatory period. Yeah. And I don't think we have rites of passage right now. You know, mm -hmm. these are, there are, many people would agree with me, and I wrote more about this in the first book. I think these are initiatory times. We are being asked to really bring more of ourselves online. We got to open those doors up because why? This is the complexity of these times. Ask for more of us to come on. This is the dance we always have with, with evolution. And but for that to happen, things have to be let go. We 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 are emerging from the old, and that change is very, very hard for you know, that's just hard for people. But if you see it as an initiation, that sometimes is an easier way to say, rather than I'm the victim of this thing right. that's come to me, um, I am in an initiatory process. It has a beginning. You'll It'll have whatever amount of time it'll have in the middle, and it will have an end. You know, the, yes. the initiation period, for me, certainly the intensity, let's say, of it was the first few years, for sure. But there's something about, once I decided to write a book and decided to bring it out there's something about this stage that feels important yeah well you know I I loved how you said we're like opening the doors it feels like you know we go from winter to spring we open the doors we clear the old air out we we clear the space much like I said just even recently with myself the butterfly you know the the metamorphosis that happens even from a caterpillar to a butterfly that change comes at a cost right change is ra rarely comes without well it's rarely gentle I guess I should say right change is rarely gentle but look at the the payoff so we're going from something that can only crawl on the ground that is subject to gravity and then it is transformed into something that has no bounds. Well, then that you can't even imagine when you're in the caterpillar phase. The interesting thing about that metaphor is, and this is fairly recent research in the last 10 years, that they they could see that the, the wings of the butterfly, are these tiny wings of the butterfly mm -hmm. that are just ephemeral, that go down the, the, uh, the kind of spine of the caterpillar. You can't, like, the, the, in other words, the potentiality and this is what I would say, you know, is there for what's next. But the conditions, now Caterpillar is in a chrysalis. The conditions are right for that emergence. And when the conditions, you could say the heat turns up in the cauldron of our lives mm -hmm. by a circumstance like happened to me, um, it's an opportunity. I don't hold it as a gift. I don't, I don't like that word. I know a lot of people say that word and that's okay for them. For me, I did not feel it as a gift. I still don't feel it as a gift or live it as a gift, but as an opportunity that I could receive and, and embrace hundred percent, like that was the opportunity. And then that still, I would say is because one thing that was very clear to me early on was the more, the faster I could get into the reality of this situation, the sense of the acceptance of it, the better. Like there is a natural denial period. That's, I, I know that. And that's just basic, uh, the way the prefrontal lobe handles the overwhelm of the nervous system going through trauma. Excellent, excellent principle that we have in our 
makeup. But then there's a time at which that needs to shift and we need to become um, kind of ready then to take, to say more and more, this is my reality now. This is my reality. As opposed to, I have to survive this thing and that is hard and get back somewhere. You know, I, I see this, for example, through COVID. COVID was the great cultural wake up, the great global wake up. It's like someone put a stick, a hockey stick in, you can tell I'm Canadian, and put a hockey stick in the, <laughs> in the, the mechanism of humanity and said, just everything was going to stop. And for some of us, I know it was a great opportunity to really look at how am I living my life? What is happening now? Who am I becoming? And am I on track? Is this who I want to become? Is this the life I want to live into? The unfortunate part is that the end of COVID is where everything's opening up again. There is that sort of, I just want to get back to where I was before. But I, I would say, you know, if you've been called to an initiation through some difficult circumstance in your life, basically, whether that is, you know, the loss of of health, you know, certain kind of health you counted on, and then you get diagnosed with something, or it is a divorce, or it's a child leaving home and you're on your own, or it's a, um, or it's a loss of a person, whatever it is, those are the moments, if you know, if you recognize this, you've actually been called here now. Now, your soul, you could say, and then if you have a belief that you're part of a larger friendly universe unfolding, mm -hmm. uh, you're being called to wake up further, to grow more, more into whatever's next. And that's where the title of the book came from. You make your path by walking. There is movement required. <laughs> and it isn't that you're not still on the path, it, but it does mean there's nobody who's done this path that you have to do. That's your unique opportunity in the world. And you will make it by having the courage. And I certainly experienced this of just in the darkest, darkest hours, you know, all, all you can do is that one foot step that one stone in front of you that you can step onto. And that's the one you do. And that's yeah. okay. That, that is totally okay. You even said, what did you say? Tumble down into the underworld and an invitation to not resist, that your eyes will adjust and you learn to see in the dark. Right. That's so profound. Um, mm -hmm. And if we really realize and we look, if we open our eyes in the dark, let them adjust, we'll realize that there are pinpricks of light within the darkness, much like in the night sky, right? And sometimes it's not until we get to the darkest places that we actually see the stars, that we actually see those pinpricks of light. Yes. And also the beauty of the dark, um, it, sometimes it's there's a kind of sense that the dark just lets us see the light and it is true and it's a beautiful metaphor you gave and the darkness what's the beginning of the bible darkness is a 
I think darkness is upon the face of the deep, you know, or, mm-hmm. or babies start inside the, the, uh, the, and it's dark, 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 dark. And there's something happening in the dark. And, and I, the learning to see in the dark was also learning to see what was in the dark, you know, in other words, what is there for me? What part of myself is here in the dark that I need to be with, that I need to connect with? Not, and then not even just myself, but I found in the, the uh, and many people will say this, during the, those dark early days where everything was so liminal what we call liminal or just surreal but you know it doesn't your 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 left brain kind of off it's like you're between the worlds Mm -hmm. there was so much love it was incredible because in a way david himself was a very loving being he was an amazing man very charming and um loving being that david that was the david i knew the David who left the mess that he left was the David I didn't know as well. Right. Um, but that David, so when in way, when that egg got cracked and he and he went to the other side, that love was present. But then all of my friends and family came in around me and I had this incredible community of love. And um, I remember having the direct experience of, the darkness gave me an opportunity to feel and see the the a love that I don't think I'd ever well I know I had never experienced before like my own heart was so open I saw no light at the end of the tunnel it was just dark but there was something so very very poignant and beautiful at the same time about that well, and I loved what you said. So when you're talking about the dark, I was just thinking that um, it's so quiet in the dark. Yes, yes, We're actually able to feel things and hear things that we don't often see or feel or hear in the light. But I also loved where um, you realized that you didn't have to do it alone and that you couldn't do it alone. Yes. And I think, and and correct me if I'm wrong, because I can totally be, but that darkness you said allowed your heart to be more open as well and accept the love, the help from others surrounding you. Because I think sometimes we, we, we're that strong person. I think you even mentioned in the beginning that you were the one that always was able to make it through this situation. You know what I mean? The, the, the steady one, but this was a different situation and you didn't have to be that strong one through everything that you had help. You had others to buoy you up and to help you through. You had some great friends, by the way, some great people in your life that were just beautiful human beings. I was, I was just like, Oh my gosh, that they love you. Yeah. Yeah. We have, I I was very blessed to have a tribe of uh, women actually the work that I, I, I had been doing was with women. So there were a lot of women in the community that mm-hmm. I was, um, you know, the teacher and that came around me. And then I had my very close women friends. 
and uh and, and family members who came in every week a different family member would be present but the the sisterhood was profound we, i would we would say all of us i think would say we we all were dragged into hades so we were all dragged together and well i was definitely the, the, the center of that <clears throat> but it was up you know ending to all of my close friends mm. lives in certain ways obviously not so immediately with their husband and home and everything else right um but we change together we we have a bond now that is you know, so deep and Beautiful. real like that really because we it was forged and um the deepest in, levels, <laughs> in the dark and in, in the, the dark <laughs> yeah that refiner's fire sure is hot <laughs> yeah, sure Oh, wow. Well, that, I mean, really, that was, that was beautiful. I loved what you, when you talked about rituals and um, the rituals that you performed, you know, in letting certain things go. And uh, yeah, that was, that was amazing. And the help that you had with that, with your sisters, with, um, I'll just call them sisters. Hmm. Yeah, ritual was really important. Ritual is a is an, a, a practice I teach in the work I do with women because and it's a lost art form basically. How and the reason I teach it and then it's so important is because ritual speaks to the conscious and the unconscious. Right. And and I knew and if you think of the iceberg metaphor for consciousness mm -hmm. the top of the iceberg is you know who I think I am and the two thirds of the iceberg under the surface. <laughs> is who I really am and every those are all the parts of myself the conscious mind doesn't want to know but the direction of the iceberg is because of what's under the water right so it's really important and the work I do with women in particular is around that work with the unconscious and these unconscious holds um so there was no question to me that it, I was going to have to speak to what was happening to the two-thirds of the iceberg for myself and for the community around the the shattering and um and that ritual would be ritual was absolutely essential for me from the get-go i did so many rituals and i wrote a lot of them in the book partly because i wanted others to see the the kind of bones of ritual they you know i told my stories of how i used them not so you would do it exactly like that if you're right. going through but that you would get fragments from what I did that might be yours because ultimately you know there are certain principles in ritual that you need to stick to or that are helpful let's say but you make is, your own right I mean you make, it your own. You, you make your own exactly and uh I knew to do that and my friends knew or were very willing and able to do that that with me um and we, and in a way, the book coming out now is a ritual. I'm doing a, a kind of celebratory book launch. I'm actually using the same space here in Seattle in the Arboretum in this beautiful garden that my first book came out. We did a big oh, wow. event there in 2016. Yeah, so finally, I did get back to, took me a couple of years to get back to completing that first book. And it came out and became an award-winning book, actually. And while I'm going back, it feels significant to come back to the same location. And I'm just feeling into how, what it, what it will be, but it feels, but it'll have a ritual component to it for sure. Um, I love that. 
because it that feels as I said already that it's a significant moment well rituals are I mean as old as time (laughs) the rituals have been around forever and whether people realize it or not whether they are doing it consciously or not people rituals in their everyday life um so just maybe not as extensive as some of the ones that we use for special times or specific times, but I believe that we use ritual in our lives almost on a daily basis. Well, we do. I guess sometimes I would say, yeah, what are those rituals, healthy or not healthy? Because right. we obviously are doing, <laughs> wherever we go, there we are, and we're doing certain things that determine where we are. But I would say... Um, you know, for anyone going through a, a major moment um, of shakeup, life-changing something. By the way, as I've said already, I think is a lot of people right now because these are the times that we signed up for. We incarnated to be here now, if we are, and that's my belief. And you're here now for a reason, and you're here. Um, at least I will say, I'm going to speak to the fact that you have gotten some kind of a wake up call or you wouldn't be listening to this resilience podcast. So there's something that's there for you. So if there is, then even the simple ritual acknowledgement of this is a moment and I'm in time right now that I'm not just trying to endure to get back to some normal, but it's got the potential to wake me up and change me in a profound way. And you could do that in an an easy way as making it sacred, create a little external altar. I work a lot with the principle of altar. In fact, I can't, I think I put that in the back of the book. Yes. Um, Yeah. Which is just basically an outer place somewhere on your, you know, where, where it's just for you, where you might, put the objects that are inspiring for you or supports you feel you have right now. Maybe that's a uh, an ancestor or it's a Buddha or it's a some spiritual figure. Maybe it's a stone that you picked up in a beautiful place somewhere in the world that gives you energy. But create something that you can say with a candle on that altar that designates I'm going, I'm in the middle of a sacred process. Not just a hard time but a holy time and and that is what marking it you know carl jung um said was a, you know who he is i'm sure yes you've quoted him actually multiple times in the book yeah yeah probably no doubt he has influenced me a lot and i've studied jungian psychology for many years mm-hmm. um, but when he was doing the work with um starting to map out the unconscious Mm-hmm. So one of the first to talk about the subconscious and the unconscious, collective unconscious and personal, he was building an external stone tower called the Bollingen Tower, basically, in where he lived in Zurich. And he would go back and forth because it was so disorienting. He was in the middle of this very disruptive process of investigating the unconscious. And then he would go and lay stone and put this, basically the tower became like a like an altar to his his own journey. So there's something about the two that I know are enormously powerful for me to keep that memory in the hardest times. Like this is not for nothing. I'm showing up in the middle of this very, very difficult situation. I'm 
offering myself on the altar in a certain way uh, of my life. I'm saying I'm, you know, I'm available. Let me be opened. Let me be um, changed. Let me, let me grow. You know, I think that's one of the, that could be a simple practice is why I mention it here to you. Well, I love here. the idea of an altar because I believe it's an, um, I believe it's a physical manifestation of an emotional, mental, spiritual reset almost. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like uh, Carl's going back and forth between all of his research that was really this almost, which I, this is what I feel, but uh, like mm -hmm. a swirling of mental and emotional, you know, and going, delving into this, um, into the subconscious, but then coming and laying stone was something he would do with his hands. And it was almost a representation, a physical manifestation, a physical representation of right. what he was doing over here. I said, I've even told people when I, I shaved my head in January of 2021 and people were like, what you know why did you do that and I said it was a physical manifestation of a mental reset um ah, and yeah. it was actually one of the most powerful things I had done up to that point in time and very empowering and so it in some ways it was as I was doing it it was almost ritualistic yeah, I bet it would have been. I mean, if the way you would be holding it, yeah. because it could just be shaving your head. You could just be, you know, every ritual requires a certain kind of consciousness for it to be a ritual. Right. You know, otherwise it's like, what is, what is that? But, but I'm sure you held it in a, in a, as this moment yes. there will be, and, and removing my hair. What was the removing of the hair for you? So I had gone through a rough, well, I really think that spirit was trying to um, reorder my life, realizing certain things. And the December before I did that, I had lost my father. Um, my divorce became final. I had lost many patients to COVID. Anyway, that that's a whole other thing. And I was a nurse, right? It was a time that I needed to reset, um, listen to that, the voice, mm. Mm. because I knew things, right. I had known things. I, it had spoken to me and I said, okay. And that's, I, it was, it was ritualistic in its doing. I did it by myself. Um, and it was a, a reset that I was going to listen I was going to listen to where I was going to be led. So mm, that's beautiful. I actually have this. Um, does I have a desire, and I think, and I'm just looking at you in the screen here, and I see all your beautiful tattoos down your uh -huh. left arm. Thank you. Um, and I'm, I've had the idea that once the book is out, I might do a ritual tattoo. And oh, I'm. Cool. And I, <laughs> thought about it for a while I'm not sure exactly what it would be yet but the idea of marking it marking my skin in mm -hmm. the way that certainly tattoos can be highly ritualist um that feels correct to me so I am just in the I'm in the question about that yeah. <laughs> that actually is exciting to me I love 
I love tattoos and some of mine are very ritualistic. Um, there are others that are not so much, but for instance, I'll just tell you one is a quote that I have on my ribs over here from AA mail. And it's only part of the quote, but mm -hmm. it's something that I used to say to my children. And it was, it is, you're braver than you believe you're stronger than you seem and you're smarter than you think. Yeah. It was something that I had told them, but at one point in time I had to remember for myself. Yeah. And let's get it right on the skin. So yeah. I'm like, <laughs> what do you do? How do you see it? Because it's way back there. I know it's there. Uh, okay. So, just... I mean, although it's, you know, somebody, because somebody else said to me, well, you can't, you don't really look at it. You don't really see it. I said, I don't need to see it. I know it's there. It is forever reiterated to me that it's there. Yeah. It almost feels to me like you could say it's, it's in your back body, you know, how yes. you leaning into it. Um, often I like to, when I'm under stress, I like to imagine I'm leaning I just sort of energize my back body and lean into my my ancestors all the way back to the goddess and to the, all the the people that are supporting me. Oh, I many, I could imagine there's a kind of <laughs> leaning into that quote on your back. Yeah. Yes, there is. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, I know that a lot of people are like, oh, you know, marking up my skin. I'm like that. In 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 my own right, it feels beautiful. So, mm -hmm. and that's all that matters. <laughs> so if you do, you're going to have to, you're going to have to keep me apprised as yeah, if you yeah. do it and what you do. So that is awesome. When, when does your book drop? On June 13th is the day that it will arrive on. Uh, well, I actually already have, I got a box from the publisher last week, but that's the day that it is officially released on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and wherever else. You can pre-order it now, but you, it won't drop until June, June 13th. Okay. You can pre-order it through Amazon. Okay. Yeah. So Suzanne's book, Suzanne <clears throat> Anderson, it's called You Make Your Path by Walking, A Transformational Field Guide Through Trauma and Loss. I have read this yeah. from cover to cover. It is a beautiful book. What I also love, though, you. is that you lived it, you embodied it, and it's not, it's not full of fluff. <laughs> it is... Oh, no, I don't it's think the so. meat and bones of it all. And yeah, I do. I love how raw and real you are. Um, so I appreciate you sharing it with me and allowing me to read it. And it it made a pro profound impact on my own life, seeing certain um, things in myself, reading certain things that I was like, oh, yes, I've marked it up. There are certain um, phrases that I have put in my personal journal as well from the book. So I thank you for that. Um, I will have all of Suzanne's pertinent information in the show notes where you can find her book, what day it drops. If there are places on social media where she'd like to be reached, I will also have those on there as well. So Suzanne, it was such a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much for sharing yourself, your voice, your book, all that you are. I really thank appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love the title of your podcast, actually. I think it's beautiful oh. from weeds to wildflowers and the image is really beautiful. Well, thank yeah. you. That's a transformation in consciousness because you can see it as a weed or you can see it as a wildflower. Absolutely. It's the, totally up to the seer. And I, I, I love that. Yeah, that's all in perception. What lens are you looking through? Thank you all for listening. Thanks so much. 
What a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. So much goodness and so many tidbits to take away from today's conversation. I hope that this episode caused you to pause, to think, to feel, and maybe dig deeper in the search for resilience within yourself. I hope that some of you were able to find things here to add to or to help you hone tools you've already acquired in your individual search for resilience. I can't wait to see you next time.